Welcome, everyone. Episode 112 of the Talking Ferris podcast. Special guest today, we had Kevin Copps on yesterday. Uh, today, we have Bruce Shine, producer, former producer for High Heat. Loved, you know, watching him on LV Network with Christopher Mad Dog Russo, who's now, you know, my favorite sports talk personality. Uh, Bruce, just thank you so much for popping on and let everyone know what you're doing now. Well, first and foremost, thanks uh, so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it, Ben. And uh, Christopher Russo happens to be my favorite on-air radio host as well, so we have that in common. <laughs> you know, I just finished uh, working as a uh, con- uh, content-slash-edit producer, the debut season for uh, Viacom-slash-CBS Sports NFL Slime Time on Nickelodeon. Um, I worked for, for CBS Sports, uh, you know, a lifetime ago. Uh, and I got back into this 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 new venture that they uh, they launched this year. It was very successful. Uh, I love the NFL like I love Major League Baseball, and it was uh, it was a total blast. And more importantly, it was a, it was a huge success. And now, obviously, like I mentioned, former High Heat producer, if you you know are willing, could you tell us kind of what that felt like to you? You know, to be laid off. Um, especially with the long relationship that you had um, and still hopefully probably have with Christopher. Um, And then what it was like, at least for you, to have them bring in Alana Rizzo. And no disrespect to her, she's great. Um, But what was that like to not be brought back and then, you know, be replaced? Uh, Well, the decision itself, you know, first and foremost was devastating because in not so many words, it was uh, it it was the best gig of of my life. I absolutely uh, loved every every second of of being part of that show and 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 working with Chris and and being part of the network. I was the first production hire. Uh, You know, I started there the week of of Labor Day 2008. You know, it was. Tony Petiti, who used to run CBS, was my boss there, brought me in, uh, you know, at that time. And then, you know, I, I, I worked on several shows producing behind the scenes, including with with Lana, who, who I know well, uh, who I have a lot of uh, respect for, um, you know, personally and, and professionally. Uh, you know, was I doing cartwheels ultimately when they decided, you know, they were going to, you know, bring Alana in for all intents and purposes to take my role? Of course not. Uh, You know, I, I, you know, when I got let go, it was, you know, of the understanding, you know, we're in unique times. There's a, there's a a worldwide pandemic going on and I wasn't the only one let go, you know, that, that fateful day, it was right around this time, you know, a year ago. And, And certainly there are far more that had it far worse than I did, but, you know, I, I understood the decision, you know, given the times now seeing where things obviously went, um, you know, in the, in the weeks to months that follow. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I wasn't happy about it, but I do understand there are different people making the decisions there, people that I do not know personally um, or professionally. And, you know, that's the, that's the way the, the world works. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. They're, they're perfectly within their, their rights to do, uh, you know, e- e- exactly what they did. But, yeah, I was, I was devastated when I, got, when I got let go from the network. Did you know, like, what you were going to do next after that? Or did you just, you know, spend a, a good period of time of just kind of thinking where you wanted to go? 
Really had no earthly idea, Ben. Uh, I had been with with MLB Network for 13 years. Uh, I was with you know CBS Sports uh, the better part of the the decade prior. So you know I'm, I'm in my mid 50s right now, and I've been very fortunate that I've basically had four employment ventures my entire life. In other words, <laughs> I've had staying power you know wherever I've been, and you know it was so sudden and it was so unexpected. And again, the times were so unique because we were in a, you know, a, a mass recession due to the pandemic. I didn't know, you know, what the future would hold. So listen, you know, I have a wife, I have, I have a son, I have, I have considerations and concerns. I mean, I, I certainly wasn't panicked by any stretch of the imagination, but there were, there were uncharted waters and um, again, I was very fortunate to be brought back to, to CBS and the people at Viacom that were familiar with me. And now that show is over with and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of back where I was, you know, almost to the point of, you know, the day when I was I was let go a year ago. Mm-hmm. Do you still keep a relationship with Mad Dog? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we keep we keep in touch. Uh, you know, Chris is Chris is the salt of the earth. I mean, he's just. He's he's you know, you hear this all the time in many walks of life. What you see is what you get. He's really not that different than the on air persona you see. You know what what you don't see, you know, as they say, you learn about a man's, you know, character uh, and philanthropy when people aren't watching. And, And he's he doesn't get enough credit for that so you know he's been very concerned and he's always you know about me and he's had my back and you know and we've had you know conversations and you know he's you know knock on wood he's do, he's doing wonderfully well and we're continuing with, with the serious show and high heat whenever they solve this lockout he'll be back on that and he started this new venture with on espn so so he's doing great and yeah chris and i are, are still chris and i i i dearly miss the daily interactions we had the ones behind the scene for me were far more, not just, you know, gratifying and rewarding, but in a lot of ways more entertaining um, than what you saw on the program. But uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's terrific. He's doing, he's doing great. Uh, you know, keeping it with mad dog, what's, what would you say is the best part or was the best part of, you know, working with him? Well, I grew up, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, he's only about, you know, 10 years older than I am, but I mean, I, I grew up in the Northeast. I was an enormous Mike and the Mad Dog fan. So, I mean, it blew my hair back and that when, when they came up to me at the network and said, Hey, we want you to be Chris's sidekick on this show. I mean, I, I'm not characterizing him as a, as a hero of mine, but you know, as, as you well know, the, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog was an iconic show. I was a huge fan, you know, of both those guys. So when I had that opportunity, I'm like, let's go baby <laughs> let's uh you know the heck the heck with the walk before you could run stuff let's go I was thrilled I, I was in awe and you know we just had a, a great at least in my estimation I, I felt we had a great chemistry right off the bat we complimented each other well um I never parroted him I never you know felt that I had to you know comply with his thoughts or beliefs um I think my contrarian point of view helped him He's a guy that doesn't need a whole heck of a lot of research 
or background information provided to him, but yet I provided that to him regardless. You know, I come in, I hand him these sheets and these questions and talking points for the show. Yeah, which is my job. He's like, I don't need this. I don't need this. Get up, blah, blah, blah. But no, he he digested these these materials. I saw it. I was there, you know, daily. And the, the, the most hilarious thing is, you know, 10 minutes before we're on the air, you know, we, we, we'd be talking about, you know, any number of things that were going to pertain to that day's show he's like he think i'm absolutely crazy and i don't know what the hell i'm talking about and you're you're ridiculous and then the lights go on in the show and he's basically taking my points uh, you know verbatim you know for from a to z he's just he's funny that way and uh yeah i miss it i miss it you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie i miss it tremendously what would you say was like the best argument that you got in on air with Mad Dog? Because I know that there's been some, you know, obviously you being a big Yankee fan, I watched every day. What would you say would be that big one for you? Wow. That's a great question. The biggest on air, but so many off air ones come to mind on air. um, You know, it's something that just jumped to my mind. He always thought I was out of my gourd for suggesting that baseball needs to undertake radical realignment far more seriously, you know, than they do. I I can't remember the particulars involved as far as his part of the argument was concerned, but, you know, to me, and maybe we will, maybe we won't get into these things later in our our conversation here. Now, baseball is, is dying. They need to reverse course. They need to change things up, you know, drastically. And, and my, suggestion of regional radical geographical um redesignations for the entire baseball landscape he just was was so taken aback and thought it was so utterly ridiculous that's one that came to mind i'm sorry ben i'm sure there are others maybe there's this you know one or two that you you could think of um that could uh you know you know help uh, help my memory here but but that that's that's one of the the on air arguments I could I could recall. Um, yeah, the only ones I'm that sure. like come to mind immediately was were, were ones kind of where you just you and Chris just arguing back and forth about you know when you should take out a reliever in one of the playoff games. I think it was David Price for the Blue Jays one year. Um, just those kind of come to mind. Uh, but just the at least just speaking from the audience perspective. Both of you guys on the air obviously worked really well, and it was it, it's a brotherly connection uh, that I, you know, saw and heard every day. And so I thought, and that's one of the reasons, with no disrespect towards Alana, why I was a little sad to, you know, not see you uh, with Christopher when everything, you know, went back and resumed. Well, I thank you for that. And yeah, it was, it is a brotherly, you know, connection. I, I still feel about him uh, that way. And, and listen, none of this is an indictment. You know, a lot of did not set these, these wheels in motion. You know, she didn't say, Hey, listen, kick shine out of here. Put me on. I mean, she had nothing to do with any of that. Like I said, we had a previous working relationship uh, and a lot is terrific, but the dynamic is it's, it's a little different. Um, you know, I mean, she is, Listen, she's very well connected in the sport. She's worked in the industry for, you know, decades herself. 
Um, she's been several years, you know, you know, doing the sidelines with the, with the Dodgers and, and so forth and so on. So the dynamic is, is going to be different. The, the tenor of the conversations are going to be a little bit different, but that's, that's obviously what the network was, was, was looking for. I mean, as far as I could tell, the, the, the show has been, you know, been very successful. I've enjoyed listening, uh, you know, to the two of them, but, you know, of course there are, you know, moments that I'm like, man, I wish I was still doing that because I, I loved it. So I really did. What do you think makes Mad Dog one of, if not the best, you know, sports talk personalities of all time? He's got this idyllic slash iconic slash beautiful mind. His, his recall mechanism is unlike anything I've ever seen in any forum with with anybody he could tell you the backup third baseman for the champion 55 brooklyn dodgers and and not you know blink it, it, it's just it's utterly remarkable yet if i asked him what he had for breakfast this morning he couldn't tell you because he can't remember it's just he's uh, that's that that that's just chris russo that and he just has an, an obvious you know passion for all of it you know i, I mean baseball i, I think in I've never really asked him this, but I, if you ask me to characterize what his number one passion is sport wise, you know, it is baseball. And he was a lifelong, you know, Giants fan. And then, you know, once the Giants won, he kind of lost a little bit of luster for that. But, you know, whether it's collegiate or pro football, basketball, baseball, it's it's utterly remarkable, and he genuinely he genuinely loves it. And the fact that he's just not really emotionally tied to any one franchise again, as I just suggested, he's he, he's not that diehard a Giants guy anymore. He still is. He's a fan, but he's not. You know, he doesn't live and die by it. He doesn't stay up as he loved to profess on the air over and over again. I watched every game Jeff Kent played. He's a Hall of Famer. I was up to two o'clock in the morning. I watched every giant. Oh my God, enough. All right, we get it, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, and, and he always he always had an affinity for the old, you know, Green Bay Packers. He's just a tremendous historian. Oh, does he love the history of this? He loves the history more than the present. Um but yeah, I mean, he—the fact of the matter is, he's been the same guy from day one. From the guy that that I listened to, that you know, hit the uh, hit the fan airwaves in the in the late 1980s, and and here we are, you know, well into the 21st century, and and not a thing has changed. Nothing, not with him. Now moving to the current game, um, when do you think this dang lockout is going to end? Um, you know, they're meeting this week every day. I uh, just saw updates about the two sides meeting for like an hour, then splitting up again like they did on Monday. Uh, it's frustrating, obviously, because, you know, billionaires arguing with millionaires. Uh, but I understand the players' viewpoints, obviously. Uh, but, you know, it's a whole different topic. But what gets me ticked off isn't really about the player pay in the major leagues. It's about them not paying – the owners not paying minor leaguers during spring training – uh, Kevin Copps, I had on last episode, like I was telling you before we recorded, and he was talking about how he was living in a hotel, you know, this season and just bad conditions, not ideal for minor leaguers, and then not pay them during spring training. But that's a whole other topic. But in terms of the lockout, when do you think this is going to, you know, end? Do you think sometime this week they can still hammer out a deal? 
Well, without overstating the obvious, I would suggest if there isn't any, you know, grand progress made by week's end, given the nature of the talks of this week with everybody getting in the same room together, better late than never, uh, then I think you have real concerns about uh, about the, the, the start of the season. It, it's, it's a tough thing to predict, Ben, because when they couldn't come to an accord two summers ago, uh, in the midst of the worst international, you know, tragedy since 9-11, and they couldn't figure out a way to get on the field to play a representative season, all bets are off. And they, they barely made the cut then. So for me to sit here and tell you with any kind of great conviction, look, these guys aren't stupid. They understand where their game is right now. They can't afford uh, to lose regular season time, I, I I can't do that. But I would, yeah, I would be real worried if there was not substantial progress made or at least being reported on um, by the time their meetings come to a uh, to an end Friday afternoon sometime. Yeah, February 28th, I think, is that date that we're seeing that they, you know, need a deal done to get, you know, the season started on time, have to be a full season with the four-week ramp up and then like a week between the agreement and the start of spring training. Um, and it's not but, the end of the world. I mean, listen, if they have to push the start of the season back a couple of weeks and, and whether it's they ultimately opt to play this season at 140 some odd games as opposed to 162 or decide that they'll make it up via double headers, either way, that that's that's fine. That's that's not the end of the world. Let's let's not go crazy about that. Let's face it. You know, living here in the Northeast, these games are real tight. We're all excited for the return of the game on opening day. But you know what? A weekend we're like, I'm, I'm sick and tired of watching these guys out there with with full ski masks. I can't I can't pick out who is who because it's so freezing outside and dank and the level of play is just garbage. Uh, I, I Again, that 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 doesn't bother me in the least. Ba- baseball's got far far bigger fish to fry. I understand the implications that the the main concern right now is you know getting these these two sides to to figure out whatever they need to figure out to get the game back on the field. But they they haven't had labor strife for nearly thirty years, so let's not make more out of this than it is. Oh, this is baseball being baseball. No, it's not. Okay, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL have had far more labor hardship that than baseball has but baseball's got a, a lot of enormous problems that they need to tackle and they're not going to really be able to get back to doing that until they settle this uh, this labor situation going on right now in reply to that don't you think though that the league and the players should have obviously already started compromising more than they are Monday's meeting, the, the league, you know, gave the players $5 million more in bonus money. And then when you, you know, go even farther backwards, the players, knowing that the owners already weren't compromising, they decide to increase their pre-arbitration offer from $100 million to $115 million. So as of this recording, they're still like $90, $95 million apart on that. They're, they're taking too long to make those major compromises. Well, because, well, it's twofold. First of all, we've known this apocalypse was coming for years. I'm not not speculating. I I walked the corridors of the MLB network and everyone was was flat out frightened 
about what what was pending in in December 2021. So everybody knew this this was coming. But like everything else in life, nobody really does anything about it until they absolutely positively have to. And there's a looming deadline. And this is no different. Okay, this has been years in the making. Uh, You know, theoretically, you would have had hoped that these two sides would have taken these steps not weeks ago, not months ago, years ago. But again, Major League Baseball is really not unlike you know anybody else in in that regard. Just from where uh, from my vantage point. Yeah, I, in my mind, I've been saying like this is like back in school in a in a project, a group project, and it it's a long term project, months months down the road, and you're like, eh, whatever, I'll just you know go go with my friends for weeks and not do it, not try, not do research, not do anything, kick it down the road. And then with a week left, you're like, oh no, the project's here. And now we're going to start all of a sudden doing it. And you just like left out of time or you just, you're not on the same page because you have different plans and you didn't even talk about it leading up to, you know, the deadline. Yeah. Well, I I think, the vast majority of us are procrastinators by nature, Ben, <laughs> you know, hearkening back to my high school and, and college days. Uh, when's the test? Oh, it's Thursday. Okay. Uh, Thursday, 8 a.m. Give me the stuff I need to get myself familiarized with and, and, and let's hit the books. This is really not all that different than that. And to be perfectly honest with you, you know, you're, you're, you're in the same neck of the woods. I am. No one's going crazy. The fact that they're not in spring training right now. Bottom line is nobody cares. All right. When the when the games are missing, that that's when people are gonna get upset. And people in our line of work, people that do what you do, what I used to do, yeah, their hair is on fire right now because there's no subject matter. In fact, in MLB network, there's hardly, you know, anybody you know working because there just isn't there isn't any you know material to pontificate on and there's a lack of access to footage and things of that nature but the general public they're, they're not missing it in the least and there's absolutely nothing going on anywhere else and people still are not missing spring training baseball well when you talk about that i wrote on twitter earlier this week like right now is like the perfect time to get a deal done nba all-star game just happened they're not going till thursday no nfl obviously uh, the NHL, I mean, yeah, they're playing, but that's not even a, like a, one of the three major sports. Like, wouldn't that be a great time right now to take all of the headlines and all of a sudden people want to, you know, get excited about it because it's something to talk about? Right. Yeah. Well, it's Election Sunday is still, what, three weeks away. I mean, there, right. there's, there's, there is nothing out there but baseball. <laughs> you know, if, if they didn't do it incorrectly, they wouldn't do it. I mean, that's just that's just how how ba- that's baseball's you know, MO. Um, but I mean, these aren't, it, it's a far easier for, for us to sit here and say it's the billionaires versus the millionaires. And, and there's so many more that have it so much worse right now, given the world we're, we're living in, figure it out. But no, no, that, that, that's not, that, that's not the world, you know, they live in. Everybody wants their bare piece of the pie and, and you can't lose sight of the fact too that there's a lot of personal ego involved here. I mean, baseball has been taken, the union has been taken to the woodshed the last couple of negotiations. Tony Clark, who is 
from what I could tell, a wonderful guy. I had, uh, I had the privilege of being able to work with him. He worked at the network before he took the union job. And, you know, we worked on some projects together. And, and he is everything that everybody says about him. But, man, he has been in over his six-foot-nine head when it's come to uh, uh, coming up against Rob Manfred and, and management. And now, you know what? Tony Clark has hired some help. And um, he's got a little more muscle behind him. And they're looking to make up for lost time as well. So it's almost, it's not about just this negotiation for the union, but it's also trying to pick up the slack for what's happened in the aftermath of the last couple of CBAs. All right. Uh, Enough of the lockout talk. Let's talk about the Padres after 2021's, you know, disappointing, embarrassing failure, whatever you want to talk about of a season. Uh, they obviously hired Bob Melvin. That was a great start. The headline right before the lockout, their addition. They also, you know, added bullpen depth. They, for some reason, got Jorge Alfaro. Now they have a million catchers on their 40-man. What have you thought about what they've done so far? And are you in the Chris Bryant, Castellanos camp or more of a Suzuki guy in terms of who they should get for that power-hitting outfielder? Uh, well, listen, when you're talking about A.J. Preller – Obviously, that's all on the table. I even read something today that that there was interest in in Matt Olson, which makes yeah. for an interesting dynamic, given that there you know there's a universal DH, but but with the existence of Eric Hosmer there, um, you, you wouldn't think that that's an ideal fit. I'm sure they're going to do what they can to move Hos, Hosmer. I would think that the uh, you know starting pitching is is still somewhat of, of an issue for the Padres. Um, yeah, Big time starting that. pitching or depth? Because I, I feel like I was talking about this on a recent episode. I'd rather, you know, there's been talk about Tyler Glass now and guys like that. They have Clevenger, Darvish, Snell. They have big time guys, Musgrove. I think for them, it's more about, as we saw last year, it's about just getting more depth, like Zach Davies, guys like that. Yeah, but who are you hanging your hat on with that group that you just mentioned there? Uh, you Snell's, know, I'm hanging my hat on Snell and Darvish if they're healthy. And I know we're playing the whole if game, right? That's that's not a great game to play. Musgrove, I am. I believe he can stay healthy again. He was the only guy that stayed healthy last year. Um, I'm not. I expecting- like Musgrove. Yeah. Musgrove, he's he's a bulldog. He's an innings guy, but he's he's not the type of guy that if I'm getting in a short series, he's not my one or two. He's just he's got a lot more regular season value than he does postseason value. Blake Snell is so incredibly up and down. You can't make heads or tails out of him. Uh, you know, Clevenger's coming off of a major injury. You're not hanging your hat on, on him. The kid left-hander that I've been hearing about for the last couple of years, I don't know where they are with him. Or, yeah, Pat- mechanically, he has, he's been up and down. He was in the Arizona Fall League. I'm hoping with Ruben Niebla, the new pitching coach, they can get something going there. Can't trust Lamette with his health issues. Drew Pomerantz at the back of the bullpen. He didn't stay healthy last year. Uh, Adrian Morahone, he didn't stay healthy last year. So you're right. There's a lot of question marks. Paddock, Paddock was an enormous disappointment. So yeah. the, the, they, 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 they've got a lot of names. I think you're fine with Darvish. But after that, I don't know. It's it's one question mark after another. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, you know, Tatis had the shoulder surgically repaired. Did he? No, he did not. I, I wanted him to, but he he said no, and he said that he's been rehabbing it and working on it, and it's in the best shape of the way it, you know the best shape that it's been in. That's what Tingler said after he was fired on an interview. He was talking about 
how his shoulder, you know, is strong as ever. But I don't, I mean, it's one thing yeah, from to his say mouth to God, From his mouth to God's ears, because, yeah. listen, you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. It's just he kept ripping that thing out of the socket repeatedly, and it just screamed to me, okay, they're, they're going to have to, you know, have this, this surgically fixed. And so, you know, now you get the impression that it's held together with duct tape, duct tape and it's a matter of when and not if the thing goes again. And, let's, you know, he's a game. There, there are so few guys like that in, in, in the sport. He's, he's a game changer. Uh, they're an entirely different team without him. So, I mean, that, that's a concern. And, yeah, I mean, give, give the new ownership there a lot of credit. I love Bob Melvin. He's a what, three-, four-time manager of the year. He's always done more with less with those Oakland teams, I expect them to be bold when, when this thing, uh, when this thing is over, but uh, you know, there, there's some, there's some work to do there, you know, in terms of the landscape of, of the NL West, you know, maybe the Dodgers come back to the pack a little bit, but let's face it. They've basically, you know, owned the division, the Giants effort last year, notwithstanding, they've owned it for the, you know, for the last decade, they're, they're going to have to take a big step backwards for, you know, the Padres to be take or anybody else in that division for, for that matter to, to, to really be taken uh, seriously. They've, they've got the Dodgers have some work to do and the Dodgers are going to do some work. Okay. So I, I know they're going to do something on a grand scale. You know, they lost Scherzer. Um, they don't have a, you know, a replacement for him. I don't think, I, I think Bob Trevor Seager. Bauer is throwing his last pitch for the franchise. So, and let, you know, there isn't anybody on the market that, that screams of being of that ilk, uh, you know, unless you want to you know, hope and pray on a guy like Carlos Rodon, who's got a big arm, but an extensive, an equally extensive injury. They've got work to do. Uh, the Padres do, but the, you know, the Dodgers are the more proven commodity and that's who I, I'm sorry to continue to bring up the Dodgers, but that's the Padres measuring stick. Okay. Yep. That's the team that they have openly been gunning for the last couple of years. They had that, that I know it was a short series, but it was a very entertaining series when they were in the bubble a couple of years ago. But yeah, the Padres have some work to do and, and, and AJ Perler, who's got to be feeling a little bit heat, I'm sure is not going to be shy about, uh, about making some bold moves once uh, once it's open season on free agents and trades again. Where my optimism comes from with the whole Dodger Padre thing, the Giants, I don't expect them to have that year again with, you know, all of that, uh, you know, older players. Um, they don't have Gosman, obviously, now he went to Toronto. But with the Dodgers Padres, my optimism is I expect the Padres to make moves to improve. And the Dodgers, while they're going to make moves, losing Scherzer – arguably the second best starter in the game right now. And then losing Corey Seager as well. I mean, 325 million, my goodness, that's an overpay, but I understand what the Rangers were doing, but losing both of those guys, uh, they might lose Kenley Jansen. I think they lost Corey Knable already. Um, they so they, yeah, so they did, they are taking steps back, but the Padres have as well. They lost Melanson to the Diamondbacks. Uh, that was weird. Um, but in terms of the Castellanos, Bryant, Suzuki for the outfield, if you were Preller, who would you want most? I don't know anything about Suzuki. I don't think any of us, you know, we, we've, you know, we, we've read an awful lot about him. Uh, you know, Castellanos would be the guy. I, I, I know he's somewhat of a butcher out there defensively, but he could just rake. You know what? And he gives you that. I love Bryant, too. I don't know Chris Bryant. 
uh, you know, his former MVP, you know, vital part of that championship core, you know, all that, that's, you know, been there, done that. But, but Castellano, he just, he's got that it factor. He's just a, a just a pure, you know, hitter. Uh, I like, I like what he, you know, brings to the table is the complete offensive package. And I, and I like the, I like the, uh, the attitude X factor, you know, with him as well. I'll, I'll live with his, his defensive shortcomings, even in that spacious outfield there at Petco, uh, but he'll more than make up for it offensively. So if you're asking me the choice out of the three of those guys, he would be the one. I think they're going to be hesitant on a guy like Suzuki because uh, just it's a year after, let's face it. I'm not writing him off as a complete bust, but Kim did nothing for him last year. Yeah. Great. They, they spent a good chunk. Did nothing hitting. Yeah. Yeah. They spent a good chunk of change on him and, 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 and he didn't really approximate what, what they were hoping. So I, I could see where they would be a little bit hesitant to take that similar kind of risk again. So if you ask me between Castellanos and Brian, uh, Castellanos would be, would be my pick. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like Castellanos. I think he's a close second to Bryant. Um, I, maybe you could call this, you know, just sentimental stuff and just letting my heart more before the head, but went to USD, um, you know, obviously has family, uh, loves playing at Petco, has the versatility. Like you mentioned, the MVP can play multiple positions, and we know AJ loves versatility. Uh, he could DH, can play center, left, right, can play first, can play third. Stuff that Castellanos just can't do, but I would be – cautious in him I know that he's had some injuries you know the last few years and the Boris thing you know with the whole Hosmer situation and him they I mean the Padres bid against themselves it seems like with that whole with that situation a few years ago and obviously Boris is going to want you know the most money he's going to draw it out hopefully he doesn't draw it out you know based on just the timeline this year of how unique that is um, but I, I'm just more of a Brian guy but in the, in the DH category, it feels like Nelson Cruz is like, you know, that obvious candidate. Um, but, you know, there's there's an additional, essentially, 14 other teams that are either going to have to fill their DH spot internally or externally. So I, I don't really know if the Padres are, you know, the big favorites or if they're just one of the favorites to sign him. Well, don't you think a lot of this is contingent on what they feel they can do? in terms of moving Hosmer, I mean, obviously there are a couple of things at play here. The fact that he doesn't produce to the, you know, the, the paycheck he gets every couple of weeks being the, the biggest of which I believe I could be wrong here. And, and, uh, forgive me if, if you don't know, I believe he's a 10 and five guy too. After, after this after year, after this season. Yep. That's yeah, one of the so reasons that, where it's like, maybe they should train him, you know, tr- really try, but I, I don't want to give up you know, Robert Hassel III or definitely C.J. Abrams in a deal if it means parting with Hosmer because those guys, I know you can say they're prospects, but they just have a different feel to me. I'm okay giving up Luis Camposano or Mackenzie Gore uh, in a deal like that. But to me, those guys, I had on one of the big prospect Padre guys uh, from Madfriars.com one of the, uh, a few weeks ago. He was talking about how Robert Hassel, five-tool player, great plate discipline in center field. Great arm. He has everything. Abrams is just a smaller Tatis. He's going to be up probably at the end of next year, if, you know, no injuries. So I wouldn't I wouldn't trade Hosmer if that meant giving up those two guys. Uh, but it would certainly giving up him would certainly allow more flexibility in terms of 
adding, you know, big power guys this year. Well, again, giving up that level of prospects is going to be totally contingent on how much money they're going to pick up. If they're not going to pick up a lot of the Hosmer money, they're going to have to give up a grade A prospect and then, you know, work backwards. If, uh, if they're going to, you know, pick up a lot of the money, they won't have to give up that level of guy. That's how it always works. Yeah. Very, very difficult to move a guy like Hosmer. Uh, you know, he's just, he's not a power guy. He's, you know, you love the idea of what he, what he was, you know, the, the doubles machine. That's what one. Mad Dogs, that's what, by the way, that's what Mad Dog stuck on. I heard an interview he did on Radio Row before the Super Bowl. And he said that he, that the Potters should be patient with Hosmer. Um, so if I ever get him on, that's definitely something I'll, you know, debate him on. But uh yeah, how many years? Is he, how much patience do you need to be, have? He's been there for four years. Four years, yeah. Four years. He's made a base salary of eighty million dollars, twenty million dollars each year, and according to Fangraphs, he's been worth four and a half million the whole four years. Yeah. Negative. What's he got left? On, what's he got left on that deal? He's got twenty million this year, thirteen million the rest of the contract. So yeah, it's like fifty nine, I think, million left. So yeah. it's not pretty. They're going to have to pick up a big chunk if they do trade him. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be hard to deal him. That's that's just the way that that's just that's I guess that's just what happens when you overpay. Uh, and he was pretty much outside of his prime already. His best years were in Kansas City. Listen, the Padres have been swimming in that deep end of the pool now for a couple of years now. They took the big swing at Machado. Tatis got his extension. The Pomerantz deal, the Hosmer deal. You, you know, you're, you, these windows are succinct. They're not, they're not wide open forever. Uh, I, I don't see why they stop now behaving like the, you know, big market entity they're portraying themselves as at the moment. Right. In terms of spending, I, yeah. And I think with Nelson Cruz, I think they'll go all in on a one-year deal with him. Uh, just because they need that power, and, I, and it's not a guarantee that they do deal Hosmer and get back, you know, in a, a three-way deal or a, or a separate deal, Matt Olson, or they get Freddie Freeman, you know, which is a long shot. Um, but there's reports saying that, you know, he might not return to Atlanta. Uh, it's just it's just tough. The Hosmer contract, the Myers contract, it's one more year so this, this year, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, but having those two contracts like that and they're not producing at a Tatis or a Manning level definitely hurts. Well, you got to see what other dominoes fall too. I mean, if, if Freddie Freeman say ends up with my beloved Yankees, what does that mean for a guy like Luke Voigt? As a guy who's not making a lot of money. I think he's in his final year of arbitration. Um, you know, again, his injury history is, is, is what it is. Uh, but he's a very he's a very productive ball player and, and a very you know valued you know commodity out there. So I think you have to wait to see how those things uh, play out as well. You know Nelson Cruz, not he's forty whatever he is forty two forty three years old. Uh, you know it'd be stunning if he ended up with anything more than a two year deal tops. But there now that there's a universal DH, there's going to be a huge a huge market for him. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling they're going to have to be competing with the Dodgers or the Giants. Maybe you wouldn't have had said the Dodgers before they lost Seager because you had, then you can put, you know, Justin Turner or guys, Max Muncie, guys like that there, but, you know, Bellinger. Um, but I feel like now you're, you're going to definitely have to compete with the Dodgers to get Cruz or any other DH, a Jorge Soler, 
depending, like you mentioned, on where the dominoes fall, who goes where. Freeman feels like a Dodger to me. Yeah. Again, he's from there. Freeman's been in the National League his whole life. There's the need, as you've just suggested, with the loss of Seager. That uh, I'm sure they'll get a fight from the Yankees. If just, but if Freeman, Freeman to the Dodgers feels like a natural fit. I okay. mean, no more. I mean, the Braves. The Braves. Don't get me wrong. The Braves are still the, the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah. The land of services. But if it's not back in Atlanta, the Dodgers feel like the fit. How would you grade AJ's, you know, Padres tenure, not including the massive buildup, you know, the rock star GM and then the teardown, but right, from the teardown to now, kind of how would you grade his buildup to this team? Listen, I think he's, I'm not going to pan the guy because as he said, he's, he's gone about it in, in two different you know ways. He was able to, you know, reverse course and then build this robust farm system that enabled him to go out there and make these mega deals, the vast majority of which I loved what he did. You know, I mean, if you're going to ask me to sit here and 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 say, well, you know what, the, the rewards haven't, you know, been worth the risk so far, I can't argue that. But I, I like what he's done. Um I like the fact that, you know what, he was, he didn't let his ego get in the way and, and keep doubling down on a losing hand when he saw, when he made all those initial, you know, the Matt Kemp's and all those moves that he made when he first got there. And he, he really rebuilt that minor league system in, you know, to me, from my vantage point, virtually overnight. The James Shields for Fernando Tatis is one of the great heists of of, of all time. <laughs> you know, the way I look at that right now, I, I like what he's done. It hasn't manifested itself in the result column yet, but that that story is still, you know, awaiting its its, its final chapters. Yeah, definitely. Um, the critis the criticism where it comes from uh, is you know the the big Myers deal. That hasn't worked out great. Obviously, Hosmer is going to hang over him. Um, you know, who else? Letting go of Max Freed. Um, I, he didn't let go of Rizzo. He wasn't there. Um, but I think, obviously, the Matt Kemp, that whole 2015, that's going to be hang over him. Um, but with that said, if we're just like my question, if we're just grading on it now, you have to give him at least a B because there's so many things that he's done. Tatis signing Machado. Um, you know, bringing in Grisham, that's worked out okay. Had the gold glove in 2020. Um, and with him and Seidler, we have to talk about Peter Seidler too. That combination I see him as working out really, really well now. I know the manager, two managers, Andy Green and Tingler, he wanted to do it his way, bringing his guys. That didn't work, but he, hey, he admitted his wrong, his wrongdoing, and he brought in a guy that no one had on their radar in Bob Melvin because he was already a manager, but he pulled that move when no one was even thinking about it. So those outside the box things, it's kind of, it has to give him a boost. And when they've been in position to strike, he's struck. And when he landed Clevenger, he didn't give up at least according to the pundits, really any of their top guys. Now he Clevenger blew out and man, maybe you, you look at a guy that, that it had some some injury problem, and you look at his lineup, and you know you, you suggest that maybe they should have saw that coming. Well, you know what? There are people far above my my 
pay grade that, that make those kind of, uh, you know, medical assessments. But I, you know, by and large, sitting 3000 miles away, I, I've loved what he did. I said that, you know, at the, at the time when I was, was doing high heat, I just think that you could still reserve judgment on what they've done. There's a job to be finished there. I, I think he's more than deserving enough of a little more time to do it. Would you say that they have to make the postseason this year uh, for him to keep the job? Well, considering that what seventy-five uh, percent of the league is now going to make the postseason under this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody makes the playoffs. Ben, if he doesn't, yeah, no, he should be canned. Uh, yeah, they, they, they're living in that world right now. Um, uh, might I suggest that that one and done might not be enough? I, you know, the playoffs are, playoffs are a crapshoot. You just ask Bob Melvin's old boss about that. You know, Billy Bean with, with, with the A's, that's his famous, his famous, you know, thing. You know, I get, I I have a heck of a lot more control about getting us there than what happens once we get there. But, but yeah, no, I I think that the expectations uh, should be, should be ratcheted up. And again, what those should be right now, right now, they don't look like a, a pennant winning team, not the way they're currently comprised. But again, I would be stunned if there weren't some major moves of, of great consummate uh, of great uh, consequence, not consummated by the time uh, the spring training is, is, is out here. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question here. Kind of a fun one. Uh, I don't know if you saw the ESPN list, top 100 players of all time that they did. I know you're a big Yankee it. fan. I'm a big Padre fan, and one of the articles I wrote on GaslightBall.com was about, in an episode I did here, um, was about where they ranked Jeter as opposed to Tony Gwynn. Uh, Derek Jeter was ranked 16 spots ahead of Tony on that top 100 list. Do you think Jeter is that much better than Tony Gwynn was? No. No? (laughs) I love Jeter. I hate – why am I always put in these positions – where I have to defend someone overstating who Derek Jeter was. Um, see, I thought, see, that's, that's interesting. Cause I thought his whole career has Yankee been that fans, way. Yeah. Most, most Yankee fans though, I felt like if I asked them that question, they would say, Oh, what are you talking about? Jeter's one of the greatest shortstops of all time, of course. But when you look at, I mean, the proof here, Right. Jeter's stats, you know, they were boosted for the team he was on. Let's face it. RBIs run scored, had a lot of great teammates. When Tony was hitting, you know, 394 in 1994, his cleanup hitter was Phil, Phil Plantier. Uh, and he that was this. Yeah. So that was the season he hit 394. They both played 20 seasons. Gwen had one more all star selection, two more silver sluggers, same amount of gold gloves, eight more batting titles. Jeter had none. Jeter, you know, isn't viewed as one of the greatest hitters, two hitters of all time, maybe three if you want to include, include you know, Babe Ruth or whatever. But him and T- Tony and Ted Williams, those are the two guys, and Jeter's not that. So, you know, Yankee fans can say all you want, Ben, you're just totally biased. But when I was looking up the stats, it's like, I don't want to say slam dunk because Jeter is, he's, he's great. But, I mean, Tony was, Tony was obviously the greatest Padre of all time. But, you know, listen, you know, Derek Jeter was was so great that Major League Baseball did him such wonderful justice by putting his Hall of Fame ceremony on a post-Labor Day Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> uh, 
I, I didn't quite get that one. You know, you want to point to some of the things that baseball does to shoot itself in the foot. You know, one of the most popular players, the most iconic franchise of all time. What, what's the matter? Was three o'clock in the morning not available in Cooperstown that day? Uh, but that, that's neither here nor they, nor is that what you asked. Um, from a, a sports perspective, I love Jeter with every fiber of my being. No self proclaimed Yankee fan could think otherwise. He lived on the October stage, lived on the national stage, largely because of the team he played on. He was a brilliant, he was a great regular season player and a brilliant October player. But if we're talking individual versus individual, yes, he played a more important defensive position, but he's not the hitter that Tony Gwynn. I mean, few are at that. It's not an insult to Derek Jeter. You know, he was not the hitter that Tony Gwynn was. And baseball, we could talk about five-tool players to we're all green in the face. There's hitting, and then, then we, could, we could quibble about everything else. What kind of hitter on it? That, you know, from a non-pitching standpoint, that's what people should care about. That's what, that's what matters in, in this particular sport. And few have, have, have ever done it. Uh, any better than number you know 19 out there in, in San Diego. I guess yeah. did you get his uniform number right? Is he 19? Yes. Yeah. I did. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Mr. Padre. Yeah. Um, all right. This is fun. This was fun. Episode 112 of the Talking Fires podcast. Bruce Shine there. Ben Fadden here. Bruce, so much. Thank you so much for joining. Ben, this was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't thank you enough for asking me to come on.